When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There is a West African word called Ubuntu. And there's a number of different ways people translate it, but I translate it as I am who I am because of who we are. And if you think about the Dreamcatcher logo, it also comes from West Africa, and it's a symbol of cooperation. And they don't say cooperation. What they say is help me help you. And so that is the whole concept of Dreamcatchers, is finding the tribe, finding the community, and then that community being one that supports each other and helps each other grow into their best self. for tuning into Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? (laughs) So, yeah, we got a book coming out. Dreams should be real. And we're recording this episode to give a little preview of it and talk through kind of the concepts and ideas and maybe even a little bit of the motivation. James was able to get an early copy of the book of the book, and he's actually contributed to a chapter and wrote the floor for us, so we're extremely grateful for his contribution. And so with that, James, let me let you just kind of lay out your thoughts on it overall, and then I guess we can do some back and forth on some of the theories and concepts. You know, for me, first, you know, Jerome, thank you for the opportunity for, one, being able to review the book, but also to be able to make a contribution. It is a very just fulfilling situation to be able to read a book, get something from the book, but also contribute something to it. Uh, and understanding that it's not just about my thoughts or your thoughts, but it's about, you know, collectively what we can contribute to people that are trying to catch their dream. I think, you know, part of what I go into in the forward is a little bit of my story in terms of, of losing part of my voice growing up. And when I say part of my voice, the, you know, my writing uh, style, poetry growing up and inner kind of weaved into the book are these real personal stories 
that, you know, about dreams lost and the ability to then get excited about catching a dream again. And I think if a person is in that place in their life where they're saying these people that are talking about these extraordinary things, they're not me. Um, I think this story in this, the book really highlights ordinary people uh, making extraordinary decisions to achieve success. Yeah, I remember the first time I read through the forward, and that wasn't a story you ever shared with me. So to see how somebody's words can still a child's dream, I think for an adult, and the power that they have in their words, you know, they can either tell a child that they're enough and they can go and do all the things they want to do, or they can tell them they're deep and that what they did was taken from somewhere else because it couldn't possibly come from them. And I think some of those words, sentences, phrases, jokes even, are a part of that person's limitation. They have decided that these things can't be and for them. And so they can't be for anybody if it can't be for them. And so I was really disappointed to see that somebody in the education system would do that. But I understand why. And I think the why is somebody stole their dream. You know, it, it could have been or their dream was kind of beaten down over the years. And so as a little bit of a preview of the four, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Philadelphia. For those of you that have been a part of the Dreamcatchers, podcast and tribe calls, you know, a little bit about my story. But I grew up in the inner city of Philadelphia, and I was always a pretty smart kid. You know, my mom and dad really kind of focused in on education. I mean, I was in middle school. I think at that time we called it junior high school, and I was really into poetry. So I used to write poetry and recite poetry. I had, we were having a Black History Month assembly, and I put together some poems and put those forward to be part of the program. And everything seems to be going well. And then I got called into the principal's office and my English teacher uh, was there with the principal, you know, basically saying that you could not have written these poems. Someone like you could not have done it. And it was really devastating for me. You know, I talk about happens when we lose our ability to dream. Back then, I liked to write. I liked to do poetry. And after that experience, Jerome, I've never really been one for writing uh, much fiction. I mean, I do great communication stuff in my job, but not in terms of the, the creativity piece. And, you know, one of the things about recapturing my dream is having the ability to uh, support your book in writing the forward and helping with content in a chapter and really starting to unlock and rediscover something that has been laying dormant for many years. Needless to say, I was devastated when I was told that I could not present my work in our assembly. You know, I felt cheated. I felt robbed. I was hurt. And, you know, I can't say that I've carried a grudge through my life about that because I haven't, and quite frankly, I haven't really thought about it until I was writing the information for the forward. But it is very therapeutic to kind of get it out and also now to explore, hey, this was a part of who I was in terms of the creativity piece. Now is this something that I can recapture 
Is it something that I want to get back into? And, and I really think that as time goes on, that that part of me will reemerge and flourish again. Yeah, I think writing forces clarity, right? So when we repress things that are hurtful so that we can move on to our next opportunity, whatever it might be, right? So I've watched a lot of people try to numb the pain, but don't realize that they numb the good too. And it's interesting when you watch a small child go from distraught to happy in a snap of a finger. But as we grow older, we're taught that that is inappropriate, and we start cutting off the lows, and we also cut off the extreme highs. And I'm not sure that, you know, that's the right answer, but it is what is socially acceptable. Um, so back to the writing and enforcing clarity, I write to get pain out or to try to save somebody from mistakes that I've made or lessons that I had to learn through the school of hard knocks or trial and error. And so when I pick up my pen, it's to really tell things from my perspective and hopefully save somebody a few steps along the way. And so so we jump into the first chapter, Your Dreams Should Be Real. And this chapter is all about letting people know that it's okay to have those questions that many of us have about things not being the way that you thought they were going to be when you were a child. Somebody told you to do this, that, and the third, and then this, and that, and the third was going to happen afterwards. It's like we get to the top of the ladder and realize it was on the wrong building. I had, in my late 20s, I had this very, very dark period where I questioned everything. Like my foundation, I just kind of blew it up and started over. It started asking questions about everything that I said I believed because what I realized was I believed it because the people around me did it and not because I had done the research for myself to verify that I truly I believed in what was presented. Um, one of my favorite things to pick at is Santa Claus and how parents will use Santa Claus as a reason for children to do the right thing. If you don't do this, or if you don't do that, or if you're not good, then Santa Claus isn't going to bring you any presents. We're detaching the reason why they should be good or do the right thing from the reason. We're basically bribing them instead of teaching them the NA characteristics or uh, morals or whatever words you want to put there to do the right thing for the right reason. And I think if we can get that into the world so that people are moving intrinsically instead of extrinsically from a motivation standpoint, we'll be much better off as a country, as a community, as a world. You absolutely know that I agree and kind of where I stand on that. Kind of the concept that I've been throwing around lately is you have to be – it's a better you for you. So you want to get better, but you can't just get better because someone else wants you to get better. You can't do things just because Santa Claus is going to come to town. You have to want to improve for you. Now, as children, I get it. We provide that substitute, but hopefully as we progress as parents, as our children progress, that we can transition from the substitute reason for improvement or reason for behavior to trying to instill the intrinsic 
um, necessity to improve for improvements and improve for yourself. And the outcome of that self-improvement will be not only better for you, but better for those around you. But it's, it's getting there and really, you know, making sure that folks have the tools to help them realize that they need to be self-motivated. Because once you're self-motivated, you know, you begin to kill it. You begin to move. You begin to push past the barriers that seemingly held you back in the past. Because, you know, when I talk about that 1%, a lot of times when, you're, when you are self-motivated, you push right past that 1% that may be trying to hold you back. But if your motivation is built on someone or something else, then you run the risk of if something happens to that person or if their opinion of you changes or you have some kind of disagreement, then the whole catalyst behind your change has now changed. And do you still want, do you still want it? Do you want it bad enough? Talk about your dreams should be real. And then chapter two gets into an owner's perspective. And, you know, I really think there's some really cool things that people are going to enjoy when they start unpacking the information in the book. You know, Jerome, can you talk a little bit about the owner's perspective? Yeah, the owner's perspective was one of those quick moments for me. And, again, it was back when I was in that dark space, man. I am a car aficionado. I absolutely love cars, especially fast cars. And so I was at the DC Auto Show with Daron Chandler and another one of our friends, and we came down the escalator, and a Nissan GTR was sitting there, fire engine red, and I started drooling. That was the dream car. After I got out of school, that was the go-fast car. That was, it was this Godzilla the legend in the mountain. And so I walk over to it, mouth hanging open, just staring at it, imagining what it would feel like to start it, drive it. And there's an older gentleman. He's probably in his late 50s, maybe mid-50s. And he's looking at me and he smugly asks, hey, you, what do you think about this car? It's amazing. He's like, eh, it's just a Nissan with go-fast parts. Uh, it's pretty fast. <laughs> and he just kind of just laughs me off, dismisses And he said, have you ever drove one of these? And I was no, I haven't drove this one yet. He's like, have you ever driven this out of car at all? Because if you had, you'd know that this isn't really an exotic car or something to really desire. And I said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, what do you drive? He reaches in his pocket pulls out the biggest Maserati key I've ever seen in my life. And he shows it to me. I'm like, okay, so what model do you have? He says, Quattroporte GTS. I'm like, oh, okay. And my car will eat this one up. So the Maserati car that he was describing is a sedan. And it's their big car. I mean, it's equivalent to, you know, 7 Series BMW or S-Class Mercedes in size. And the GTR is a car that will go 0 to 60 in less than 3 seconds. So they're two totally different types of vehicles. But anyway, he, he insisted that his car was so much faster and so much nicer than the car that we were standing around. And then he started to antagonize me a little bit. And his wife walked over because she could see the energy of the conversation changing. And she looked at me after she stepped in between the two of us and said, 
you think you might have this car one day? I smiled at her and said, I'm absolutely going to buy that car. And she pulled her husband away and they walked off. And it made me think of a story I watched on Discovery at some point where they were describing how lions, especially the male lions, will kill male cubs. And they're doing that to protect their position in the pride. And for me, I was the cub, and he was you know, king of that pride. And he was going to get rid of me. And I'm not sure why he felt that way, why he couldn't encourage me or explain to me well, what he did in order to buy the things he bought or encourage me to make sure that I was saving appropriately or I bought some assets that paid for the toy that I wanted. But no, he wanted to make me small and basically make me feel like I couldn't get it. But long story short, about six weeks later, I bought the car. And from that point on, I promised myself that I'd have an owner's respect. Whether I had it or not, I was always going to be an owner. And for the hundreds of people who came up to me while I was driving a car or while I was riding in it, while I let some of my friends drive, I would never shrink them. I would never make them feel like they couldn't have what they wanted or make them feel like what I had was unachievable. I wanted to inspire people instead of break them down. And so for me, the owner's perspective is teaching people how to create true wealth through ownership. And in that ownership, and if you choose to display that wealth, being willing to take break down the steps that you took in order to get there so that people can walk in those footsteps. And, you know, that's what the tribe is about. That's what Dreamcatchers is for, is to help people make those strides. Because somebody can tell you, and I love this idea of a travel guide versus a travel agent. The travel agent can tell you how to get there, and that's kind of the high-level consultation from the owner's perspective. But for those folks who want a guided experience, the folks in Dreamcatchers will the folks in Dreamcatchers will walk on that journey with them. They will go with them on their trip, whatever that hunt is, and help them get what they're looking for. That is the polar opposite of my experience with the owner's perspective. My hope is that that perspective will die and the one where we help people accomplish what they want to accomplish will grow. Yeah, I think that's great. Dreamcatchers not only will help tribe members achieve their financial goals in their dreams, but it will also so will walk with you to help you transform into the person that you want to be. You know, once you're self-motivated, many of us have, have gone through personal experiences that can be useful to others that are going through similar things. Um, and part of, again, what I will continue to say is that we will talk to you, walk with you, and never talk at you. Because when you talk at a person, you belittle them, and you're really not engaging them in this whole exchange of helping them to possibly improve or helping them to obtain um, something that's before them. Uh, we're all about helping. You know, we're, we are all about helping and assisting people to move forward with their goals and, and their dreams. Now, one of the other chapters in the book, you start mentioning the concept of rules aren't real. And so could you get into a little bit, just a little bit about the, just the basic concept? I don't want you to give away, give away too much, 
because right. we absolutely have to, you know, people, we really want you to read this book. Um, it's great content. It'll be very helpful. Uh, but just give a little taste of, you know, just the whole concept of the rules aren't real. Right. So with the rules aren't real, they're, if I back up, so I'm an engineer by training, civil specifically, and every rule that we have is safety factored and adjusted and multiplied to get to a place where it's, you have to do something really silly to get hurt. And I've watched it when I was working in the power industry where somebody had to break two or three rules in order for something to go wrong or for them to get hurt or, you know, it might be four or five things for something to happen that was fatal. And there's been all of this emphasis on safety. But what I've learned throughout my life is that understanding why the rule is is way more important than knowing the rule. And the reason why I say that is because there are a set of assumptions or there's a criteria that is applied to the situation. And if that situation if that situation is adjusted just minorly, the rule might not be effective in that space. And you can absolutely stick to the rules and do something to hurt somebody where if you made a minor adjustment and broke the rule, nobody would have been hurt. Or if the adjustment is just a matter of the timing, you can take off those limitations that the rules put on you and open up a whole other option that can fix the issue laid in front of you. And I think we spend a lot of time creating rules to make it easy to control the system, whatever the system is. It could be a mom has two kids, so in order to keep her sanity, they go to bed at 7.30. So she has an hour or two or three of free time in the evening to de-stress. It could be the yellow line in the middle of the road. You know, there's Sometimes they're double solid yellow. Other times there's dash on one side. Sometimes it's just one single dash line in the middle. And in each one of those instances, somebody's done a ton of calculations to say, all right, it's okay for you to break the rule of crossing the center line here, but it's not okay there. But it's really only a matter of timing. If you cross the center line and nobody's on the other side, it's all good. You cross the center line, and there is somebody on the other side, it can be catastrophic. Rules are, <clears throat> the reason for rules is kind of what you think is an important concept for listeners and readers to kind of understand, understand the, the why behind the rule so you can use your wisdom, your information, and your knowledge to help you navigate and try to move forward. Because I think sometimes we see rules. I want to get away from the, the safety issues uh, on the roadway, but just in general, we see rules as set in stone. And sometimes if we don't understand the reasoning behind those rules, we will voluntarily uh, limit our growth or limit ourselves from moving forward because we don't understand the why behind the rule. Because sometimes the rule can apply in one situation, and it may not apply in another situation. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting at. And we don't dive into it in the text, but mm -hmm. you ever had that annoying kid that asks why? 
and then why and why and why. And some kids are just trying to antagonize you, but there are some who truly want to understand the reason for what they're being told. They don't just want to know the rules. They want to know why the rule was created. And because I told you so, it's not an appropriate answer for any of those parents that are out there. (laughs) I know that's what I was told growing up, and uh, I had to catch myself with uh, my boys in making sure that I exhibited some patience to be able to actually go into a little bit more depth into the why. And I think that's important even as we talk about disciplining our children in terms of, uh, you know, taking certain privileges away is to really give them a sense of the why and to spend that time talking to them. Because when you understand the why, you are equipped and prepared to really move forward in your future. Because it's not just that I'm not, I can't do this because my father told me that I can't do it. It's I can't do this because this potentially could hurt someone. Or I can't do this because the last time I did this, we had a talk and I could really see how my words impacted my friend. And so maybe the next time, you know, my kids will have a different approach because they understood the why. And I think in part of, you know, once you are, you know, kind of moving forward and understanding your why, you have to kind of reconfigure how you approach these decisions and not just take the blanket, this is the way it is because it's always been that way approach. Um, And I think that kind of goes into the next chapter, which is memory loss, where you go through and tell about uh, the story of the horrific um, accident that you were in and part of the process for your recovery. And I think, you know, again, I would encourage people to absolutely get into the book to find out a little bit more um, about Jerome's story uh, on that and how just an ordinary individual can really come through a horrific situation to create an extraordinary life. Um, You know, we often hear stories of people that have these near-death experiences and how they, they come out and they're able to push through. And it's kind of like, you know, pressure and heat is what turns carbon into diamonds. And when we go through these things in life and we're able to come through the other side, we come out so much of a different individual and we have so much more to give and contribute to society and people around us because we went in as carbon but we're coming out as diamonds. So you you talk about that whole, you know, experience, and then you kind of get into the where is your tribe. And so I'll give you the option of whether you want to talk more about the, um, you know, your experience or get into the the following chapter, where's your tribe. I'll just say on the memory loss thing is, we all have to do some dying of our old self. We've got to do some killing of our ego if we are to transcend to the next level of our life. Many of us want to keep all the things that we have and take them with us to the next place, but there's not enough room for all of that stuff. And I think we hold on to those things because we're scared we're going to be uncomfortable. But discomfort is part of the process. And I think we've 
kind of been spoiled as a society where there's no more saber-toothed tigers getting ready to jump out and eat us, right? So we feel like not being able to get that mocha latte at our favorite coffee shop is painful or having to wait and save up for something versus buying it right now is torment. I've gotten very okay with being uncomfortable because I feel like that is the only way that you can grow. It's the only place where significant or rapid growth happens. If you think about growing as a teenager, many of us got stretch marks because we were growing rapidly. We had aches and pains that we never felt before, and it was because we were growing. And that was, you know, an external manifestation of some of the things that we have to do internally. But it is absolutely part of the process that if you want something that you've never had, you will do something you've never done, and it won't be something that you can do from a place of comfort. For me, it helped that. So there was about a 10-year window where I came over, and it's always interesting to talk to folks that I went to college with and hear them tell me about stories that happened, and I have absolutely no recollection of them. And it's not because I wasn't sober. I just have no memory for that period. So I remember when I first realized that I lost my memory, and... I didn't really know how to respond at first, but after really contemplating the situation, I just decided that I would do everything that I could to make as many memories as I could with the time that I still had on this earth because I never knew when I was going to check out and I wanted to live a full life before it was all said and done. So one of the questions that I have for you is, do you think that experience is limiting or freeing for you? I think it's free. I think many times we decide what we can and can't do based on what has happened in the past. And with losing my memory, I lost some of those limiting. I think it's commonplace for folks to say, well... You can't do that because you haven't done this, this, and this. This isn't like university. You have uh, calculus one, then calculus two, then calculus three, and you've got to pass the previous course in order to get into the next course. Um, it's kind of scattered, and you skip a step here, and then you go around and redo a class there, and you wish that you would have known this when you did on that. So losing that sense of structure, I think, has been extremely beneficial. And I, right or wrong, I believe everything that happens happens for my betterment. So I'm going to go with it's not limiting, but helpful. I, I think that is a very interesting and mature perspective, you know, accepting what has happened and saying, you know what, I'm going to believe that this is the best for me, that it's going to be better for me because of where I am and these decisions. And I wish that people would take that approach even to things that happen in their life that they do remember, you know, in terms of being able to say that this is going to be something that I can use or leverage to be a positive impact in my own personal life, but also in the lives of other people. You know, so I know one of the things, you know, after memory loss, the next chapter is where is your tribe? And so why do you think it's important for people, um, the tribe members, the people that are listening to this podcast, to be able to find their tribe? 
you know, if I make this personal and talk about kind of the dark history of America and shadow slavery and some of the other challenges that we've had as a country, my ancestors were cut off from their ancestors transatlantic slave trade. And losing those hundreds or thousands of years of history and starting brand new over in America is something that I think, I guess it's disappointing. Maybe it's, I, I feel like they were robbed of their history. And I don't really have a more eloquent way to put that other than to say, we've got to get back to the roots. I remember my dad telling me the story of being ripped out of his childhood home off the corner of South Carolina and taken to the big city of New York right as he was going to high school. And he was a career military man, started out in Marines and and finished his career in the Army. And his big thing was, I don't want you to be pulled away. I don't want you to not know your roots. I want you to have a home base. So he made sacrifices throughout his career that allowed me to live in the same home for 18 years. And, you know, that is just kind of unheard of in today's military. But he took some one-year assignments that allowed me and my mom to just grow up in that one house, and there was nobody taking me from my home. I, I took that a little further, and then while I was in college, I had an opportunity to do some work in Africa. And my visit there showed me how vast the world was, how different things were, and a little bit how spoiled we are here in America. And I learned just a lot about myself, and it left me asking more questions. In that trip, I was on the east coast of Africa, and I wanted to get back to the West Coast, I knew that's where my original tribe And so I took the steps and did a paternal DNA test through African ancestry to find out where my father's people came from. We traced them back to the Yoruba tribe of Nigeria. And you know, one day in the very near future, it is my plan to go back home. But, you know, that is kind of a bloodline. There is something else that since I've been an only child, I, I don't have, you know, a big nucleus. It was me, my mom, and my dad. We didn't have any other relatives that lived in the city. And so my family became friends. My tribe was the folks who I spent the most time with, the folks who had the biggest influence on my life. And that tribe um, has been a big factor in why I am who I am today. There is a West African word called Ubuntu, and there's a number of different ways people translate it, but I translate it as, I am who I am because of who we are. And if you think about the Dreamcatcher logo, it also comes from West Africa, and it's a symbol of cooperation. And they don't say cooperation, what they say is help me help you. And so that is the whole concept of Dreamcatchers. Finding the tribe, finding the community, and then that community being one that supports each other and helps each other grow into their best self. And best self is not determined by the tribe, although the tribe will tell you you're doing things that aren't beneficial for you, as if you don't already know that you're not doing this stuff. But it's defined by you. It's defined by whatever's put in your heart, whatever your dreams are, and trying to figure out how to manifest them and working as a collaborative group because when those dreams manifest, 
we believe the world becomes a better place. And our goal is to grow the world and make it as great as we can. We wanted to be better because we were here. And not awesome take, man, in terms of understanding why your tribe is important, understanding that, you know, it's great to be able to connect with people that want to help you. You know, help me help you. Help us help you. And for those that, you know, are on this go it alone mentality, you know, one of the questions that the book raises is, you know, well, what's your plan? You know, what's your plan to move forward? What's your plan to improve? What's your plan to reignite your ability to dream? What is your plan to catch your dream? And just really digging into those questions in terms of what is your plan, because if you don't have a plan, you really don't know where you're going. And one of the things that Dreamcatchers has been beneficial to me personally and beneficial to others that I know that are associated uh, with, the, with the tribe is helping to lay out just some goalposts, some, some different things that we can shoot for and do to develop that plan and getting the encouragement and the honest feedback on that plan and a certain level of accountability. Because there are a lot of times that we say we're going to do stuff, and if we don't hold ourselves accountable and other people are not there to hold us accountable, we'll never accomplish it. And I think part of the benefit of finding your tribe is having that support structure and that help to help you succeed and achieve the dreams that you have. As Jerome said, we're not, you know, inputting dreams into people's lives. We're trying to unlock your ability to dream. And once that ability is unlocked, really trying to say, you know, what is it that you're dreaming of? What is it that you want to accomplish? Who is it that you want to be? And we're here to help you step by step to get there. But it's an awesome experience, and it's great to see people as they continue to have their own aha moment when they want it for themselves. It has to be intrinsic. If somebody gives you a dream, it's not truly yours, and you're not going to go through the sacrifices it takes in order to get it. It's just these big dreams that a lot of us have are just too taxing and make us too uncomfortable in order to go through all the struggles it takes in order to make it. So, I'm smiling thinking about all the dreams that have been captured, the ones that are to come. It's, it's magical for me. So the the last two chapters of the book is significance equals success, and then is your future better than your past? And so in terms of significance equaling success, Jerome, what what was your take on that? I know I provided some of the content for that, but it will be interesting to me to kind of hear your take on that content. Yeah, so that content was nothing short of amazing. I mean, I... You dug really deep and shared what I think most people wouldn't share. I mean, in some of your family's most intimate struggles and challenges. I remember being there for a lot of it, but you writing it and laying out the time frame and the amount of pressure that was added was just kind of mind-blowing for me. And what it did for me was it clarified when people make shifts. I think commonly, and if you look at a kid for the most part, 
they're going to be focused on self and what they can get and how things can benefit. And then something happens and then they decide that it's not about me. It's about the people around me. And so they try to figure out how to be more generous and attentive and caring and supportive. That part right there is, I think, what many of us are still striving. The ability to be impactful through our generosity, our inherent or innate capabilities or talents, and so having somebody else recognize. I think often a death or something tragic happening is what gets us there, where we realize all this money or all these toys or how many pairs of shoes or bags or purses or watches, whatever material thing that we've been trying to acquire doesn't matter. What matters is the positive impact we have on other people's lives. And the one thing that really jumped out for me in reading yours is the only way that we could truly have impact on other people's lives is by being willing to share our story and share it transparently because in the transparency, you get clarity. And it sounds kind of silly, but if somebody's trying to unpack an issue that they have and they're trying to find their way through the smoke and mirrors that a lot of people put up so that it appears they are doing better than what they are, their likelihood of successfully doing that is greatly diminished from my perspective. Just because it's more complicated, the, the process is already tough, but to go in and make it even tougher by um, adding distractions or miscues or misdirections, kind of like a magician does when they're in the middle of their show, so that people don't actually see who you are, is tough. And I think true love really comes from people seeing you. It's interesting when we first meet new people in the tribe or somebody comes and says, will you support me? There's a lot of energy put into proving how capable they are and laying out what they've done in the past. And I very quickly say, hey, you don't have to prove anything to me. I, I believe in you and we'll figure out what the gaps are between where you are and what skills and abilities you have to acquire to get what you want. The faster that we do that, the faster we're able to get onto the hunt and the pursuit. So I feel like I'm rambling, but. No, no. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct in what I've kind of described in that part of the chapter of the book is, you know, my general career progression, how I defined success, particularly um, when I was younger, and then how my definition of success evolved uh, as different life events happened, whether it's, you know, getting married and then the birth of uh, our children, and particularly my youngest son, Nathaniel, was born uh, almost 14 weeks early and had lots of medical issues and, you know, going through and navigating career, finances, family, medical-type situations in understanding then that my definition of success changed from it not just being about me, but it being about those around me, and then that continuing to evolve to include those people that I come in contact with every day. Um, and it's really transforming the definition of success as we know it into significant. Um, 
because you can be, I mean, you can have some, you can have success and not be significant, but if you have significance, you're going to be successful because you're going to be able to positively impact the lives of the people that your life intersects with. Um, and so, you know, it's absolutely a trying experience for me and my family. You know, I'm very, you know, thankful. I thank God that Nathaniel's healthy now. He's 10 years old. He doesn't have any real residual lingering health issues. And so people will see us now. It's kind of what you were mentioning, Jerome. They see me now. They see us now. And they just see what the end product is, but they don't see the process. And who we are and who we're being transformed into during that process is key. And that's you know, it's a, you know, it's all about the process, being able to come through that. And when we were going through that experience in life, I, I didn't think it was hard. It just was. You know, we did what we had to do to make it through. And thankfully, we made it through. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I am so keen on being part of Dreamcatchers to be able to offer to that support to other people, whether it's making the, making those tough decisions along their career path, whether it's trying to figure out how to navigate the relationship with their spouse as they're going through uh, this tough emotional family time. We are here to help you walk through those situations that you have in life. So I think the last chapter, Jerome, is, is your future better than your past? And so you tell me, man, is your future better than your past? It's got to be. It's got to absolutely be. I, I believe the best is in front of me. And if it's not, I don't want to know. <laughs> but I absolutely believe it. if I continue to improve and work on myself and get the tools, abilities, skills sharpened, improved, life has to get better. You know, the, I feel like you attract what you are. And every day, every single day, I'm doing something to try to make myself a better person. No, I think that's absolutely true. Um, we do attract what we are. And what I would challenge people that's listening to this podcast and reading the book is to understand that it's not just about you. So it's great. Every day I am trying to be better than who I am today. But part of the question that I would have, and it gets to back to the significance piece, is what are you doing today to make somebody else's life better? What are you doing today to impact someone else? And I think when you pair that innate desire for self-improvement and the desire to impact, you know, those around you, I mean, I think that's a, a kind of a recipe for exponential growth in so many different areas. Yeah, without a question. I mean, when you're working and then the people around you are working on themselves too, the collective power of that network changes your net worth. And yes. in instance, it, and net worth isn't just dollars and cents, right? It's net impact on the world. If you've got the right people in the room, an idea can be funded and operational execution strategy can be created in a matter of minutes, and then having the people to encourage you along the way dramatically increases the likelihood of completion of the mission. And I don't know how else to describe 
dream catchers other than to say that that is what we do. Yeah, that is what we do, man. Hey, Jerome, I want to, again, thank you for the opportunity to contribute to the forward, to contribute to the, the chapter, for the opportunity to review the book. As also, thank you for the opportunity for being on this call, doing this podcast. And I just can't wait to see the feedback that we get as people begin to be touched by the story of catching the dreams and why dreams should be real. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good piece of work. It's probably, it's not perfect. And I don't think anything I ever do will be, but I do think it has the ability to touch some hearts and minds. And I think the podcast has far exceeded my expectations. You know, I thought we might have, three listeners of each episode, maybe. And this morning, I'm happy to report that we're over 1,550 listeners. And I think in the future, we may laugh at that number and say, you know, we were making progress, but we had no idea of the real impact that the world was hoping for and that these stories resonate with a very large part of the population. And I just hope the same thing for the book, you know, if only five people read the book and they're impacted in a big way, I'd be happy. But my hope is that many people will read the book and share the book with others. And if they stop there, that would be plenty. But if they take the lessons and stories from the book and implement them in their lives and share those stories with others, the ripple flat goes much further than anything that I ever dreamed I could do by myself. So let's see what happens, man, but I'm excited. All right, man. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. If you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit the website at dreamshouldbereal.com. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it. Get it how you live. And that's just what I did You know I hustle all day and all night for You know I hustle all day and all night for Yeah